You're listening to a podcast from River City Church of Jacksonville, Florida. For more audio and video podcasts, visit rccjax.com. Man, it is great. I love, I love having the one service. There's just so much energy. Get everybody together. Get us all together as a church. Um, and I'm excited for this morning. You know, if you, if you haven't been going to River City Church um, for that long, you may not know this about me but I'm totally secure enough in my masculinity to tell you that I'm a big fan of musicals, okay? I've said it. Antley's out of town. Look, we can do whatever we want, right? <laughs> the, the coolness factor just dropped like 10 points at River City Church, okay? That I just admitted that I like musicals. But I, I think it might be because I'm like emotionally stunted or something, um, you know, I just, I love the, the passion in, in musicals. It helps, you know, it, it just helps communicate a story. I'm, I'm not talking about like, like uh, Chicago or all that jazz and stuff like that. I'm talking about musicals that have stories, musicals that, that communicate something deep um, about the soul and about life. And there's one musical that um, has taught me this principle that I think it, it, it's always good to remember. It's always good to reflect on. And I call it the Don Quixote principle, okay? And it is this principle that comes across in the musical Man of La Mancha. Has anybody ever seen Man of La Mancha, the musical? <laughs> okay, coolness factor. Rivers it just dropped another 10 points, like for me at least. You guys are much cooler than I am. Okay, so let me tell you, Don Quixote, the, the story of Don Quixote, and of course, I only know it through Man of La Mancha. I didn't actually read the real deal, because it's like in Spanish and 1,600 pages and whatever. I didn't read it. But Don Quixote, in the story in Man of La Mancha, it's about this guy, and he, he believes that he is a, a knight on a quest. He believes that he is a knight, and that he has all these noble missions. And the most popular story is uh, when he sees a windmill, and he believes him and his him and his, uh, his, what do you call him, squire, um, they see this windmill, and they believe that it's an evil giant. Don Quixote tells them, you know, we are knight errants on a mission, and there's an evil giant. And they go, and they chase after it, and he jousts it and with his joust thing, and falls. And, but, you know, it's one thing after another of him seeing these noble things that he can do, these noble quests in front of him. He sees things like a, a barber's basin as a golden helmet. Or his old horse is a trusty steed. His little fat buddy he sees as his squire. He sees an old inn as a castle and the innkeeper as his lord. And he comes across the inns. He, he goes to this inn with Sancho, his, uh, his trusty squire. And he runs across the, the inn's prostitute, the, the woman that works there. And, you know, she's, she serves at the inn, but she's also... Everybody knows that she's the prostitute. But Don Quixote, when he sees her, he doesn't believe that she could be anything other than this magnificent lady, a princess, that she is some form of royalty. And he sees her in a way that she cannot see herself. And just, just to, to really top this off, we're actually going to show the scene from the music so you can experience it with me. And so we have a video clip. And this is Don Quixote. And he comes across... El, El, her name is Aldonza. And um, yeah, just watch. This is the clip. She. Sweet lady. Fair virgin. 
I dare not gaze fully upon thy countenance as I be blinded by beauty. I'll get you the wine. My lady, you must not wait upon my needs, I implore you. Speak once your name. Aldonza. My lady jests. Aldonza. The name of a kitchen scullion or my lady's serving maid. I told you my name. Now get out of the way or I'd by Christ. My lady, think, put me to the test. Oh, sweet sovereign of my captive heart, how could I fail thee when I know I have dreamed thee too long, never seen thee or touched thee, but know thee with all of my heart. Half a prayer, half a song, Hast always been with me, though we have been always apart. Dulcinea, Dulcinea, I see heaven when I see thee, Dulcinea, and thy name is like a prayer, an angel All right, I'm going to spare you the whole song. But you're going to be singing it. Watch, when you leave, you're going to be singing it. I love this scene because she cannot, you can see that she keeps running away from him. And he keeps singing over her this name, Dulcinea. Dulcinea, and it means like sweetness. It means like my sweet one. And he keeps singing it over her because he, he won't accept this identity that she's accepted for himself, for herself. She, he sees things more noble than anyone else can see. He sees in her something that she can't see for herself. Don Quixote at one point, he says, I, I come into a world of iron to make a world of gold. He comes into the life of Aldonza and he, and he, and he speaks this over her. He sings it over her, and eventually she begins to hear it. She fights it at first. She can't handle it. It's too much for her. But then eventually she starts to give in, and she starts to see herself the way that Don Quixote sees her. And as a result, she's transformed. She's transformed into this character of Dulcinea. And I believe the reason that this is such a powerful story for us is because deep-seated in all of us, Deep-seated in all of us is this desire to be seen. To be seen as more than, than, than what we've done. More than uh, what, what, what's on the outside. Through our junk, through our pain, through our messed up nature, through anything that we've done, we just, we want to be seen, we want to be valued, and we want to be loved. Deep down, we share this desire. Even if we can't articulate it, even if our defenses are up, like Aldonza, it, even if that's us, this is a desire that we all share. And this morning, I want to look at just one of many accounts. Think about all the accounts of Jesus that I could share this morning, where he uncovers this need in people and he meets it, where he shows them, I see you and I value you and I love you. That he shows them the ministry of Jesus, the ministry of being sought out by the Father, 
and then approved and justified through the work of Jesus on the cross. This is the ministry of Jesus, and this is what deep down we all desire, this, this need, this passion that we all have. In Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. He was a wee little man. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He is gone to be the guest of a sinner. They couldn't see the value in Zacchaeus. And they probably laughed and they mocked him. We didn't get to see it because I cut the video. Well, you hear him laugh, right? When he calls her, he says, fair virgin. And everyone laughs. You see something that no one else sees. Don Quixote, you are crazy. You've lost your mind. You see a nobility that doesn't exist. Jesus calls out Zacchaeus by name and says, I'm going to go to your house and I'm going to eat with you. And they laugh and they say, he's going to go hang out with sinners. He obviously doesn't know what he's doing. He's obviously not a man of God. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. This man has value. He is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, is to come and to seek and to save that which was lost. You don't seek and save something that's not of value. You don't go after something that's not valuable. Jesus is making this point that there is value. You have value. Your Father values you so much that he has sent Jesus to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus tells parable after parable, the lost coin, the lost son, trying to get this message across that you are valuable and that he will go after, and he is looking for you, he is seeking for you because you are valued. He sees you, he values you, and he loves you. This deep-seated need that we have. And look at the result. Zacchaeus is transformed. Zacchaeus is changed. You know, it's hard, it's hard to grasp, you know, a tax collector, what that really means. But it would carry all kinds of baggage. Zacchaeus most likely stole from people. He was most likely very dishonest in the way that he handled his money. He, was, he, he turned his back on his faith. He was Jewish, and yet he was, he was working with the Romans to take advantage of the very people that he was supposed to be a part of. And in a moment, God's grace penetrates his heart, and he changes And he says, I want to make things right. I want to be the way that you see me. I only want to live up to what you see. You see see Zacchaeus. You see a son of Abraham. I I thought that was long gone. I thought that ship sailed. You see something in me I, I can't see for myself. And Zacchaeus is forever changed and transformed. Just one story, one story that I could share of Jesus coming into somebody's life 
and seeing that. Being transformed. Zacchaeus didn't do all the right things, right? It wasn't like Zacchaeus came to his senses and said, you know what, I'm going to get my life in order. And so he goes and he starts making things right with the people that he's robbed and he's, and he's doing nice things. And then Jesus says, okay, because you did those things, Zacchaeus, I'm your buddy. Let's go hang out. Instead, he seeks him out in the midst of his crap. Sorry, junk. In the midst of his junk. And he says, I want to hang out with you. I know your name. I know who you are, Zacchaeus. I have seen through everything and I value you. Many times, Jesus would use parables to show the Father's heart for his children. Jesus really is the one who introduces the language of seeing God as Father, and not just as an earthly father, but a heavenly father. Our earthly fathers, if you had the best father, if you had the worst father, it doesn't compare to the Father in heaven. Jesus is making this point over and over again, trying to show the heart that he has, the the heart of the Father. And this morning... I believe God God has two things for us. The first thing is that we need to accept this. We need to accept this. And rather than teach this point, you know, I could put together a great argument. I could go through all the scriptures that talks about how God feels about you. And I I could try to teach you into believing that God loves you, that God values you, that God knows you by name. And C.S. Lewis makes this point that many things we just need to be reminded. They can't be learned. It can't be taught. We need to be reminded. When most of us came to a faith, when we we began to see Jesus as more than a cardboard cutout or a, a felt Jesus that we had in Sunday school as a kid, when we really started to believe that he likes me and that he loves me, do you remember that? This morning, God wants to remind us and to believe that. We need to be reminded more than we need to be instructed in this area. You know, we had the life course weekend a couple weekends ago. And um, if you've never done the life course, it's awesome. It's great. The life course weekend, um, the life course starts off and it's all intellectual. It's all, you know, making arguments for understanding what we believe in our head about God. And then on the life course weekend, the goal really is to put this to the test. Let's experience what we've come to believe in our head. Let's experience God. And I would encourage you, do the life course. If you didn't get to do the weekend, do the weekend. We're talking about having just the weekend in the summer so that River City Church, we as a church can just go and have the weekend, even without the life course, of just going off and experiencing God over the weekend. But for me, we have several sessions of prayer ministry. But for me, this last life course weekend, and I'm not the touchy-feely guy, right? I'm like, I'm like the guy, I'll just I'll stand there, but I'm not getting nothing. I'm not feeling, like, it's just, it's, it's hard for me, all right? I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's because I overthink things, if I overanalyze things, but I just have a hard time experiencing God on the Life Course weekend. Well, this last Life Course weekend, it wasn't even during the prayer ministry time. It was in the leadership meeting. We were just meeting and praying about what God was hopefully going to do during prayer ministry. And I had this incredible experience with God where I believe he, I, I, was, I was praying, and I felt like God was saying, I love you. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I know you love me. I know all this. I know the scripture. I know how to teach it. I know. And, and God was like, no, no, Tom, I love you. I see you. I value you. And he began to bring to my mind things that he made that was unique in me. Me, Tom Rossi, not humanity, not, you know, in, in the world as a whole that God loves, the, the, you know. It was, it was me. And it was this deeply personal 
And that's why I'm sharing it with you right now. It's a deeply personal thing. But, but my, what's my point? My point is that that's what, that's what God wants to penetrate our hearts with this morning. Some of us, we know it in our head, but we don't believe it in our heart. We haven't had that, that belief penetrate all the way through to our being. Christians find it easier to believe that God exists than that God loves them. Some archbishop dude said this. <laughs> Christians find it easier to believe that God exists than that God loves them. And that's me. It's so true. And I can even believe that God loves, yeah, God loves, he loves you. He does. But does he love me? Does he love Tom? Does he love the things, does he love the unique way that he's created me? That's hard for me. Brendan Manning, in his book, The Furious Longing, I think it's The Furious Longing of God. It's a great book just to, to drive this point home. He says this, How radically is our image of God reshaped if we take seriously the belief in God as deeply, passionately, and unconditionally loving us? How radically must we rework our own self-image if we accept ourselves as lovable, as deeply, passionately, and unconditionally loved by God? How radical? Is it radical? Has, have we lost that radicalness? <laughs> have, have we walked with God so long that we've forgotten that he loves us? Have, have we been so busy trying to tell other people about God's love for them that we've forgotten that God loves us? That, has, it, has it reshaped our thinking of God? And has it reshaped our thinking of ourselves? Have we allowed it to? In Christ, we are laid bare. He sees everything. And we have been judged. And we have been accepted and approved. We have been justified. Paul says that we have been justified freely. It wasn't something that we did. We didn't earn it. But God saw us. And in the work of the cross, he has set us free and he has declared us righteous. He has declared us to be children of Abraham, to be children of God. He's declared us to be the righteousness of Christ, to be salt and light in the world. He has seen us. We can't hide the things that we've done. We can't hide. He's seen through it. And in spite of that, he values us and he loves us and he speaks and he sings over us. Do you believe that this morning? Zephaniah 3.17. You know, at the beginning of that scene, it's like the audio doesn't, I don't know what they did in the 50s or whenever that thing was filmed. But you know, when he starts to sing, it's just so cheesy. And I just had this picture of God singing over us in this cheesy way of just loving. He just loved, I mean, because I think about what I do with my kids and I will embarrass myself to death because I just love them. And I sing over them and I can't sing. I'll do whatever just to see him smile, just to see him respond. Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves, he will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that God sings over you? How cool is that? Dorosineo. See? See? 
Do you believe that this morning that God sings over you? That he sees the unique talents and calling and mission that he has given you. And he's so happy. Through the work of Christ, he has seen past everything and he loves you. He sings over you. At the end, you know, I saw this in the Alhambra. (laughs) Why is that funny? Aldonza, at the very end, Aldonza comes out into the stage, into the, into the audience, and she turns around and she says loudly and proudly, from this day forward, my name is no longer Aldonza. I am Dulcinea. We, as the church, need to say, I am the righteousness of Christ. I am a child of God. I have been set free. I am no longer the person that I am. I am new in Christ with all of the confidence of one who has been saved by Christ. We need to take on this new identity as saints, as children of God, as the righteousness of Christ. This is the first thing I believe God has for us. (laughs) We need to accept this. And for some of us this morning, this is a challenge. This is hard for us to even believe. And so some of us, for, for all of us, we need to apply this. We need to apply this principle to our life. We need to love people. You know, I love, I love this. Don Quixote, he seems like such a fool. Right? I mean, I wish, you got to go see it. Go rent it. You're not going to find it in the red box thing. <laughs> I don't know where you're going to find it, actually. Good luck with that. Um, but I, what I love is they laugh at him. They laugh over and over at the, at the things that he does, and they don't see the nobility in it. And only a few people, by the end, they're transformed. They begin to see the world of gold that Don Quixote sings about, that he lives for. We need to be those people. We need to be the ones that see past people's junk, and we see them as valued, as, as loved by Christ, as sought after by Christ as people that God the Father loves deeply, that he values them. We need to be the ones to do that. Russian philosopher says this. He says, to love a person means to see them as God intended them to be. See past who you think they are. See them as God intended them to be. We should be agents of transformation. We should be the ones that they call fools. We should be the ones that people laugh at because we, they can't believe that we love these people. They can't believe that we see nobility in these people that they don't see it in. We need to be the ones to do that. We have been called, Paul talks about a ministry of reconciliation. We, the church, the representatives, the ambassadors of Jesus, have this calling to go out and to reconcile people. Brendan Manning in that book, he says, to affirm a person is to see the good in them that they cannot see in themselves and to repeat it in spite of appearances to the contrary. In spite of appearances to the contrary, no matter how, no matter what they do, you continue to speak words of life over them and to see and to seek out 
Not just, oh, Jesus loves you. Not, not, just, not just dismissing it, but actually seeing something specific in them and showing it to them so that they can, they can begin to see it in themselves. They can be transformed. They can experience what we're talking about. This is the ministry of reconciliation that we're called to. For me, I, I, I go, and I, w- I was actually, I was thinking about this, and it's been a long time. And I'm glad, I'm glad that we're doing this sermon. You know, it's always good for me, too. You know, I go back and I, and I read through my notes and I remember, you know, when I first became a Christian, this was such a big principle for me. And I would go through these mental exercises. You know, if somebody was mean to you or somebody was bad or whatever, I would just go through these exercises of imagining, okay, what was the scenario that got them to this place? Give them the, the best grace in the world. You know what I mean? Like, and I got to apply it. Last night, I'm watching that horrible game on TV And I was like, okay, okay, these officials, maybe, you know, he's going blind, and that's the problem. And he's losing his vision, and that's why, or his hearing, there's something wrong with him. Because I don't want to hate this person, and I need to love him the way that Jesus loves him. And so I just make up whatever story I need to make up to be able to see him. (laughs) You think I'm joking. I don't know who it is for you. I don't know who it is, who the Aldonzas are in your life. But God is calling you to love them in this way, in this foolish way that Don Quixote shows us, applying this principle to be Christ's ambassadors. Stephen Covey wrote a book on uh, the seven habits of highly effective people, really powerful book in terms of leadership, but he tells this story that really affected me. And this is really how I how I began to apply this principle in my life. He says, One Sunday morning, I was riding on a subway in New York, and people were sitting quietly, some reading newspapers, some lost in thought, some resting with their eyes closed. It was a calm, peaceful scene, and then suddenly a man and his children entered the subway car. The children were so loud and rambunctious that instantly the whole climate changed. The man sat down next to me and closed his eyes, apparently oblivious to the situation. The children were yelling back and forth, throwing things, even grabbing people's papers. It was very disturbing. And yet the man sitting next to me did nothing. It was difficult not to feel irritated. I could not believe that he was so insensitive as to let his children run wild like that and do nothing about it, taking no responsibility at all. It was easy to see that everyone else on the subway felt irritated too. So finally, with what I felt was unusual patience and restraint, I turned to him and said, Sir... Your children are really disturbing a lot of people. I wonder if you could control them a little more. The man lifted his gaze as if to come to a consciousness of the situation for the first time and softly said, Oh, you're right. I guess I should do something about it. We, we just came from the hospital where their mother died about an hour ago, and I don't, I don't know what to think, and I guess they don't know how to handle it either. And Stephen Covey shares this as a point of being, I had no idea. In my mind, I was creating my own scenarios. A father who doesn't care about his children. A father who just lets them run wild. Rather than creating in his mind a scenario of nobility, of seeing value in this man and seeing maybe there's a struggle going on. Maybe there's something more that you can't see. This is the calling of a ministry of reconciliation. This is a calling of applying this Don Quixote principle to be the fool When the person next to us goes, can you believe this guy? We're the ones that say, man, he's probably having a really bad day. Maybe we should help. Maybe there's something that we can do. You're crazy. This guy's just a bad dad. No, 
We're not the ones to do that. We're the ones to see the nobility, to see something that they might not see in themselves. This is a calling for us. We are not the morality police. We are Christ's ambassadors to love righteousness. Righteousness being the right relationship with God. To love righteousness is to make it grow, not to avenge it. You know, you could tell, you could hear in, his, in, in the way that he wrote it. You know, he felt like, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus on the family for this guy, all right? I'm going to bring some powerful truth about raising your children. I'm going to bring the word of the Lord. I'm going to show them how it's done. That's not going to help righteousness grow. That's not. You feel some amount of avenging it, of showing somebody their wrongness, rather than making it grow by loving them, loving to the parents that don't control their kids, to the waitress that can't seem to get her act together, to the co-worker that you can't stand, that regularly bites your head off, to the absolute chief of sinners. We are called to see in them something that they may not be able to see for themselves, to let our conversations be always full of grace and seasoned with salt. Think about this. came across this blog. This girl had posted this. She said, I feel so lost at the moment. I wish I knew why these things were happening to me. I wish I had someone who cared for me and wanted me just as I am. I wish I didn't feel so sad. I wish I knew what to do with my life. I wish, I wish, but all the wishing gets me nowhere. So I'm going to sort my life out, stop depending on other people, and start living for myself. I don't know who she is. I don't know. She could be somebody that's going to serve at the restaurant that we go get lunch, or somebody that you work with. But it just shows the internal struggle that people are going through that we may not be aware of. The calling on us this morning is to see that and to apply this principle, to believe that God has loved us, that he has seen the nobility in us so that we can in others. Let me pray for that truth this morning. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for the work of the cross we thank you that you have chose to call us your children. We thank you that you have freely given to us acceptance and justification. God, that you have seen through our junk and you have accepted us in spite of ourselves. Father, thank you for loving us and thank you for loving those around us. Give us eyes to see move on our hearts. Give us words. Give us grace. Give us all the things that Jesus showed us. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.